But what I'm most excited about is today, our first Sunday, gathering together in 2018. I have written 2017 like three times this week. So like my check writing, I think they're all going to bounce because I put the wrong date on them. But um, I'm, I'm especially grateful that we get to start uh, 2018 off by celebrating the Lord's Supper. I, I think when you talk about putting first things first, and thinking about our devotion to Christ and his sacrifice for us, it is good for us to be able to do this. And so we're, we're going to talk about the Lord's Supper today. It's not just going to be that we have a, a, a sermon in a series and then have the Lord's Supper. The whole, everything is going to be about the Lord's Supper today. And I begin with this story. We were cleaning out our cabinets and drawers. I highly recommend that you do that. And we couldn't remember why we had saved some things. You ever gotten into a drawer and you go, what is this? Like Jonathan Brown's got church bulletins from 1979. You know, you're like, what is this? And you're looking at it and you are trying to remember there has to be some special reason that you kept that church bulletin in your nightstand. And you're like, is there something I'm trying to, is there something I'm supposed to remember? Is there some special reason I don't know. It's just there. It's perhaps nothing more significant than clutter. In the same way, churches can get cluttered up with things that aren't the main thing. There are a lot of things that churches get stuck with for a really long time. And gratefully, leisure suits have come and gone. Uh, Churches are not stuck with leisure suits anymore. But there are other things that we get stuck with for a long time. And some of them... We get stuck with them for a good reason, like the Lord's Supper. One of the things that is neat about both of the ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, is it is probably the only two things that we do that we do kind of in unbroken succession with the church through all of its history. Um, The early church did not have the collected writings of the Scripture. Paul's letters were still being circulated. So preaching in the early church probably looked a little bit different than it does today. Um, There were not church buildings. But we know when we gather and we practice the ordinances that we are doing something that our people have done ever since we've been in existence. The Lord's Supper and baptism. It is the thing within the church that has the longest history of all. The, The problem with a long history is sometimes long histories equal short memories. Long history means we don't naturally um, remember why what we do is significant. So for some of you, um, the Lord's Supper is just a thing that we do on some kind of semi-regular schedule, and it's just a ceremony. Today, we want to talk about not just doing it, not just going through the motions, but really understanding how we profitably partake. And so this is going to be a little bit different. It's not going through a passage of Scripture. It's a little more topical. And we're going to ask all the interrogative questions. Who, what, when, where, why, how? And I hope by the end of this, as we have the opportunity at the close of our worship service to actually partake of the meal that the Lord has provided, that we can do it with our hearts and with our minds and with our souls. So the question is, why do we celebrate the Lord's Supper? Why do we celebrate the Lord's Supper? Two Very, um, I don't think, uh, aha reasons. But number one, because of Jesus' command. Because of Jesus' command. Now, 
the Lord's Supper interests our, let me change that, the Last Supper. Jesus uh, oversaw specifically with his disciples in the upper room the Last Supper. You think of the painting. That's the Last Supper. We don't do the Last Supper. We do the Lord's Supper. There's a distinction. There's only one Last Supper. It's recorded in the pages of the gospel. And interestingly, it's, it's recorded in all four gospels. You find it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, slightly different perspectives. But you, uh, you don't get a specific teaching uh, from the lips of Jesus as he goes to that upper room and he, he breaks the bread and pours the wine. You don't get a specific command from him that you need to do this on a regular basis. Where that really comes from is not from Jesus' lips, but from Paul, who claims to have received it from Christ. Paul, you know, had this uh, dramatic conversion experience on the, the, uh, the road to Damascus. The Lord appeared to him. And then Paul disappears and uh, studied the scriptures and communed with the Lord. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 26, we find that the Lord's Supper is not just something that is historical. It's something to, that is to be repeated and uh, cyclical. It's to come up multiple times, a commanded and repeated ceremony. Here's what the scriptures say. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. And here's what it is. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he also took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Where's the command? For as often. It's not a one-time thing. It, there's the at least implicit command that it is something that is to be repeated often. Now, some churches practice the Lord's Supper more oftener than others. Some aren't very oft at all. Um, but it is something that is a commanded and repeated Ceremony. Number two, not just because of Jesus' command, but because of Jesus' example. Jesus' example of serving us. We find this in John 13. John 13 is John's retelling of the Last Supper, but it also includes in a very beautiful picture in living color uh, Jesus' act of serving his people not only by dying, that's, that's it, that takes the cake, that's the big thing, but also by his Serving his people by washing their feet. Here's the way John's gospel records it. John 13, 12 through 16. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his robe again, he reclined again and said to them, do you know what I have done for you? Now when he says, do you know what I've done for you? I don't believe that he's simply referring to the washing of feet. I think he's referring to everything that has taken place within the upper room. So the Lord's Supper where Jesus is speaking in code language at the Lord's Supper. He's saying, you know, this bread is my flesh, this, 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 this wine is my blood. And deacons are like, all right, this is weird, but, you know, Lahaim, you know, whatever. They don't really understand about his sacrifice. So in order to make his sacrifice a little more poignant, he strips himself, takes a towel, and he washes their feet, and he serves them. And he says, do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and this is well said, for I am. 
So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Now I'll stop and let you guys make your own application there. Um, we'll, uh, um, not, no conversations about personal hygiene. He goes on and he says, I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. I assure you a slave is not greater than his master and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. Here's the deal. Jesus was willing to serve people by washing their feet. Kind of grody, I know. Um, but it's humbling. And the reason he was willing to serve them is he had already determined that he was willing to sacrifice his life for them. And what Jesus is saying in his act of, uh, uh, of serving and sacrificing is that that's the kind of relationships that are expected in the household of faith. The Bible says there's no higher love than that a man lay down his life for his friends. Is that what you expect of the people sitting on the row with you? Some of you might even not, might even not know the person sitting in front of you or behind you. But the idea of the kind of connection and relationship that's supposed to happen in the family of faith is that we are, we are willing to sacrifice for each other and we demonstrate that every day because we're willing to do the little things in serving each other. Here's a connection. You will never sacrifice for someone you won't serve. You, know, you don't hold the door for your wife. You don't treat her right. You're not going to lay your life down for her. Why? Because you've missed the opportunity to serve her every day. You're not going to sacrifice for her in a big way. You demonstrate daily what you're going to do ultimately. And, and Jesus says, I'm setting an example for you of sacrifice. And the Lord's Supper reminds us of that. It's humbling to come here because the, the world tells us, I'm okay, you're okay, we're all good. And this meal says absolutely the opposite. You're not okay. You are broken. You got baggage. Uh, your world, your life is broken and so is mine. And the only way for that to be fixed is the gospel. And Jesus is demonstrating that with his action and with his ultimate sacrifice. So we celebrate the Lord's Supper because of his command and because of his example. Who's welcomed to participate in the Lord's Supper? Well, that's an easy one. Uh, the challenge with that is it takes a little bit of explaining because I can't go to a specific Bible verse and say, thus saith the Lord. But here's the point. Only baptized believers are encouraged to participate. Only baptized believers are encouraged to participate. Um, the challenge with this, again, is there's not a specific verse where it says, thus saith the Lord, thou shalt not admit non-baptized people to the Lord's Supper. But here's the deal. When we talk about an ordinance, typically the way that you hear an ordinance spoken about is a city ordinance. There's a law. You know, you're not allowed to build a shed in your backyard or you're not allowed to have chicken coops because you're in the city limits or you're not in the city limits. We think of the ordinance in our day as a law. An ordinance, when the Bible talks about the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper, is a decreed institution or ceremony. Jesus has decreed the institution of the Lord's Supper. It is a ceremony that he has kind of divinely blessed and said that we are to repeat it. And so as one of two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper are intimately connected. We, we tend to think of them as separate entities, but the way God has designed them is for them to work together in one way. And here's it. Baptism is that ceremony that begins the Christian walk. You repent, you're baptized. It's the 
First step of obedience. Baptism is the ceremony that begins the Christian walk. The Lord's Supper is the ceremony that continues the Christian walk and strengthens it. Here's here's the thing that's interesting. One, baptism is initial and non-repeatable. Okay? Should you be baptized more than once? No. We believe in believer's baptism. You believe the gospel and then you are baptized. The only reason that's legitimate for you to be baptized again, actually, honestly, if you didn't believe the gospel and you were baptized, you weren't baptized because you didn't believe the gospel. You had a religious ceremony with water, but without faith, baptism doesn't do you any good. So if you didn't believe the gospel when you got wet, the Bible would say you're not baptized. Because baptism is an act of obedience after you have trusted in the gospel. So baptism is unique, initial, and non-repeatable. The Lord's Supper, as often as you do it, is recurring and regular. And it calls you to remember what Jesus did to bring you into his family. They work together. They dovetail. And the idea behind this is if you have not taken the initial step of obedience in baptism... Why are you concerned at all about obeying the Lord and the Lord's Supper? If you've not done the initial step, if you've not completed first grade, why are you worried about second grade? If you haven't learned how to walk, why in the world are you trying to ride a bike? There's a sequence to this that is important. If the first step of obedience isn't in place, then no other obedience makes sense. You know, it's kind of like telling, telling your mom you wish she would die, but you make your bed. I made my bed. Well, no, there's a problem in our relationship. If the love is not there, then making your bed really doesn't matter. And so the first step of obedience has to be in place for any of the other obediences to make sense. The Baptist faith and message, our, our uh, doctrinal statement, says this in a really good way. Um, very concise and succinct. And it joins in Article 7 both the, 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 the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper together. We're not going to talk about baptism except for in the preface how it addresses this. Christian baptism, it says, being a church ordinance, listen to this, it is a prerequisite. What's a prerequisite? A prerequirement. A requirement. You must be baptized in order to uh, uh, get to the privilege of church membership in the Lord's Supper. What's it saying? Apart from baptism, the Lord's Supper is not something for you to participate in. Apart from being a member of the church, the Lord's Supper is not something for you to participate in. The Lord's Supper is a symbolic act. We, we don't believe, like Roman Catholics believe, that by, by praying that, that this, this cracker and this juice literally becomes the body and blood. It's symbolism. It is a symbolic act of obedience whereby members of the church, through partaking of the bread and the fruit of the vine, memorialize the death of the Redeemer and... Anticipate a second coming. I love that. Because I think sometimes when we do the Lord's Supper, we do a really good job at memorializing the death of the Redeemer. I don't know that we do such a good job of anticipating his second coming. And I love this, because if you're visual, this might help you. The Last Supper, unique and non-repeatable. Jesus in the flesh, on the earth, with his disciples. The Lord's Supper, what we have done since he instituted it, until he comes back, And while it is a perpetual thing for us now, it's not an indefinite thing because the Lord's Supper, like the Last Supper, will go into the rearview mirror when Jesus comes back for his bride and we enjoy the marriage supper of the Lamb. Three suppers, Last Supper, Lord's Supper, 
the marriage supper, the feast, the party, when Jesus comes back and he says that when we take this meal, we're remembering his sacrifice backwards, but we're looking forward to the wedding feast. We're looking forward to the joyous celebration of Jesus faithfully coming back for his, his bride. And that's why we say it's only baptized believers who are encouraged to partake. When? When do we celebrate the Lord's Supper? Now, this is an interesting question because the Bible is silent. It says, it's oft, but then there's no footnote that says, oft means, you know, bi-monthly. Oft means once a month. Uh, you'll find all kinds of different things. Um, those who have grown up in Catholic or Orthodox traditions uh, probably are used to celebrating the Lord's Supper every week. And so there may not be a connection necessarily between the sermon and the Lord's Supper, uh, but there's there, there, the mass communion is taking place every week. Uh, interestingly, there's a Baptist church here in town that they, uh, they do the Lord's Supper every single week when they gather. Um, I've never seen that before. Um, I think that that's kind of interesting. Um, some churches do it monthly. Most churches, in my experience, um, have, have been a part of a church that would celebrate it once a quarter. And most frequently, the way the churches do it is on fifth Sundays. Now, we, we changed things up a little while ago because four, four times a year... I don't know, this could just be me. That doesn't seem oft. You know, if you miss a fifth Sunday, you've missed 25% of your opportunity to participate in that for the year. We weren't real sure that we wanted to do it 52 times a year. So what we did is we kind of came up with a formula where we do it every six to eight weeks. And you go, well, that's kind of weird. Well, it has to do with the lunar cycle. No, I'm kidding. Um, It... (laughs) here's the deal. Um, If you have served in a church, Sunday school teacher, um, nursery worker, child care worker, security team, you're on a rotation. And guess what your rotation could be? Fifth Sundays. You know what that means? You never get to partake the Lord's Supper in the sanctuary with your brothers and sisters in Christ. So we do it every six to eight weeks so that we, we try to track out doing it at least twice on a first Sunday, at least once or twice on a second Sunday, on a third Sunday, on a fourth Sunday. So whatever your attendance pattern happens to be, whatever your service pattern happens to be, hopefully you only miss one. What it means in 2018 is we're a little bit more than bi-monthly. We're a little bit more than every other month. We're going to do it seven times over 12 months. So I don't know what that works out to math-wise, but that's, that's, that's about every six weeks, I think, something right around there. So in 2018, we'll have the opportunity... Seven times to partake of the Lord's Supper. I like that a whole lot more than four. And uh, God, may, God may really convict our, our church and our leadership that we need to do it more often. Because here's what's great, and we're going to talk about this in a second. Um, accountability groups were not invented by small groups or by men's ministries or women's ministries. It wasn't invented in the 70s. The Lord's Supper is God's original accountability group. You're supposed to consider how you're living. You're supposed to remember his sacrifice. And that's why we're talking here for our final uh, kind of section. How do I profitably partake of the Lord's Supper? What are practical action steps for you? And listen, some of you may have taken the Lord's Supper all your life and never actually received teaching on it. What we want to do is try to be extraordinarily practical. We're going to look at four uh, different passages of Scripture related to this. Number one, we profitably partake of the Lord's Supper by confession. By confession. Now this is not, don't think Roman Catholic, you know, going to confession. We're, we're talking about 1 John 1.9. 1 John 1.9 says this, verse that you know and love. 
If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just, faithful and righteous, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friends, when we hear that verse in our hearts, we should say, Amen. We are not righteous. We're not just. We are not faithful. Praise God, He is. And He says, our job is to confess. The word confess means to agree with. Con, with. uh, Fessio, to speak. To speak in agreement with. God knows what your sin is. It's not an oops. It's not a mistake. It's not an indiscretion. It's an offense against the Holy God. And to call it anything less than what God calls it is not confession. It's justification. So we confess by agreeing with God about our sin. And so for some of you, that act of confession is really what we call baptism. The way that you confess your, 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 confess your sin and confess your allegiance to Christ is in the waters of baptism. It's when you stand up and say, I'm not ashamed to identify with Christ and his people. He has saved me. I want to live for him. For some of you, that took place a long time ago. Today, if you are not a baptized follower of Christ, you don't need to listen to points two, three, or four. This is for you. It doesn't make any sense to go any further in the more uh, sophisticated algebra of Christian discipleship if we don't get the basic arithmetic of confessing Christ as Savior and Lord. Don't, don't go forward. This is the point of application for you. Have you agreed with God about your sin and have you pledged your allegiance to a new king? If you haven't, I would plead with you to start 2018 by making that confession. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to pretend. I think most people think that they're spiritual experts and they're not. That's why I do counseling all week long. People think that they're a good boss, they're a good king. They're not. If you have questions about what that means, my email address is scottdavis at nbcrh.org. My cell phone number is 502-338-8020. You can write on the back of an envelope. You can call me in the middle of the night. We need to talk about this. Because if you're not a baptized follower of Christ, this is where it begins. And for us who have already confessed, we can remember back... I don't know what the circumstances were. If you are a snotty-nosed little kid that Sunday school teachers had to flick in the back of the head to say, pay attention. And if it's through them that you heard the gospel. Or if it was a faithful co-worker who you didn't, you want to hear about him. He's a Jesus freak. But he faithfully shared with you. God sovereignly arranged the circumstances for you to hear the gospel and for you to respond to the gospel. What a privilege for us as we come to the Lord's table to just say thank you for making it possible for me to confess my sin and your lordship. Number two, we profitably partake of the Lord's Supper by self-examination. Self-examination. Again, we go to 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul is giving instructions to the church. He's just talked about, for as oft, uh, for as, oft as you do it, as oft as you do it, verses 27 through 30 says this, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner or in an unworthy way, will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Now, I can't tell you exactly what that means. What I can tell you is, you do not want this charge to you. Uh, We're all guilty for the death of Christ. That's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about mankind is all, all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. This is talking about taking the Lord's cup in an unworthy way. 
This means living like the devil and then dressing up on Sunday and making it look like you're the best Christian in the world. There's, there's, a, there's a word we have for that. It's called hypocrisy, and it's why the world thinks that, that church people are losers. We just need to eradicate that. That, that. that needs to be done away with. It's saying, don't, don't, don't do that. Don't, that's not what you do. Instead, it says, so a man should examine himself. And in this way, through self-examination, he should then eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. Um, Newsflash, when he joins sleeping to sickness and illness, he's not talking about a long-winded preacher. He's saying uh, this sleeping is death. Now, I've never been in a church where we've distributed the elements and, you know, passed the plate, took the crack, took the juice, and someone fell over dead. But, you know, that is exactly what the Bible is talking about. It's saying that perhaps you are genuinely saved, but you're making a mockery of Christ's lordship, and he's only going to let you mock him so long. And this might be the straw that breaks the camel's back. He says, you know what? I'm going to save him. I'm going to pull him out. Because he's going to do more damage to uh, the testament in my gospel if I let him continue to live like that. That's a terribly fearful thing. We are provided a substantial warning about inappropriate participation. So at it, it, the danger of perhaps sounding uncharitable, I, I, I hope that I don't. Uh, but for the sake of perhaps sounding uncharitable, let me be essentially clear. If you are not a baptized believer in good standing at a local church where you are under the authority of God's word and, and leadership, you shouldn't participate. Now, we'll, we'll talk about why in a second. There's a broken relationship. God wants his people connected to his bride. And if that relationship is broken, you shouldn't participate. That's the first thing I would say. Number two, I'm a parent, okay? We have a, do we have any other parents here today? We have a few. Let me just plead with you for some serious mindedness related to the Lord's Supper and your children. Our job is not to pull the plate from your hand because you, in an undiscerning fashion, are allowing your kids to participate. But again, if your child is not a baptized believer, this is not snack time at vacation Bible school. And and I know that sometimes you guys have squirmy kids that maybe if they get a cracker and juice, they'll slow down. That's not the application of the Lord's Supper. Now, I don't think a kid is capable of taking in an unworthy fashion. I think that judgment falls upon mom or dad more than it does on the kid. I don't think the kid's capable of that yet. But I will say this. The Lord's Supper is an incredible teaching opportunity to tell your kid that as much as you love them, you know better than they do that they are a sinner in need of a Savior. That's what the Lord's Supper is for, not mid-service entertainment, not church catering for crackers and juice. So use it as a teachable moment. But mom and dad, use discernment. Don't, don't give something that is for believers and followers of Jesus to people who aren't yet. Instead, use this as a teaching opportunity to help them along the way of getting there. For all of us, the Lord's Supper is a very poignant opportunity to reflect upon how we have represented Jesus since the last time we took it. That's why I think we need to do it 
more often than once a quarter. Can you remember the last time you took the Lord's Supper? How long was it? I think it was November 15th. I can remember back to November 15th a whole lot better than I can remember back to August 15th. And part of this self-examination is to say, God, how have I been your ambassador? How have I represented you since the last time we partook? That's why number three, we're reminded that we profitably partake of the Lord's Supper by recommitment. Recommitment. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Listen, since the last time I took the Lord's Supper... There are some things I need to recommit in my life. I've not followed him perfectly. I'm not even going to lie and pretend like I have. The reason I can say that is I know you haven't either. We're all in this together. We, we have not followed Christ perfectly. But because his grace is more than sufficient, even though we fall short, we have the opportunity to say we should have done better. And by his, the power of his spirit, we will. We're reminded that our best worship is our lifestyle, not necessarily our Sunday morning routine. Sunday morning routine is important, but if you just come to church and live how you want, you've missed something. So, it says, we're to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. That's an oxymoron, because when you sacrifice something, it dies, okay? I, I could die once and for all, but that's not what he's calling me to do. He's asking me to be a living sacrifice. Here's the problem with being a living sacrifice. You crawl off the altar. And so since the last time we've celebrated the supper, if you know in your heart that you have crawled off the, off, uh, craw- crawled off the altar, this is the opportunity for you to recommit. Say, God, did it. I want to. I-, I need you to help me figure out how to stay on the altar, but I want to offer myself as a living sacrifice because you are worth it you are worth it number four and this is the one where you need your steel-toed boots at least i do we profitably profitably partake of the lord's supper by restoring relationships what in the world does nate brown have to do with me taking the lord's supper oh man that is the fatal question for american christianity we're such individuals We think that none of y'all have anything to do with me and my relationship with God could not be further from the truth. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 23 and 24. And finance committee, cut me some slack here, okay? Because we're talking about giving and Jesus is going to say, don't do it. So, if you are offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you. Not that you have something against your brother. You're free and clear. Your conscience is fine. But you're offering your offering and you remember that your, your brother or your sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother and then come and offer your gift. Again, we're reminded that we worship God with our lives, not just with our lips. We are sinners and we sin against each other. And he's saying here that we cannot fix anything without the gospel. We can't fix me, can't fix the world, can't fix our relationships without the gospel 
And he's saying here that our priorities should be on what is personal over what is public. And the problem is we're in South Carolina, y'all. Okay? This is like the genteel culture of saving face. Oh, you're telling me to not put my offering in the plate because I got something messed up with a brother? Yes. Because your worship, your act of putting that in the plate is deficient if you're allowing a relationship with a brother or sister to languish. The Bible says, far be it from you to continue on in worship because your relationship with God is hindered if your relationship with your brothers and sisters is not what it's supposed to be. Does that step on anybody's toes? We need each other. We need each other so much that Jesus says, don't continue with worship service. Stop. Make it right. I had a conversation with Ed Lorock, our chairman of deacons. I said, what if I just started the service? We had a song and announcements and uh, just read Matthew 5, 23 and 24 and let Eric play the guitar for the next 40 minutes and let everybody do what they need to do, getting right with everybody. Boy, that'd be the most awkward worship service you've ever been to, wouldn't it? It would be right though, wouldn't it? Oh, listen, there'd be people that are here as guests that go, what a freaky church. But what a, what a glorious reputation to take God's word seriously enough that we don't trample into God's courts while we're not living the way that he says he wants us to live. So here's the issue. If you bleed red blood, you have broken relationships. I don't know how bad they're broken. They might be 5% broken. They might be 95% broken. I'm not here to do personal counseling with 200 people, and I can't tell you whether your situation merits you withholding this morning. I think there are some cases where you can partake this morning, and by your partaking, you're making a promise to yourself and the Lord that you're going to make a phone call or a visit this afternoon. You're not going to put it off till tomorrow. You can do it. There are some of you that go, I don't know that I can make this promise. Then you might need to withhold. As an act of self-discipline, to say, you know what? My relationship with my brother and sister is an indicator of my spiritual vitality with God. Don't do it because I said so. Do it because it's what Jesus wants. Confession, self-examination, recommitment, restoration of relationship. Those four things. It's how you profitably partake. And so we have the privilege today concluding our first worship service of 2018 by remembering his sacrifice, recommitting ourselves this year to walking as consistently with the Lord as we possibly can. So deacons, I'm going to ask if you would join me here at the front to help as we distribute the elements.